Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm somewhat of a fan of the scientific method and running proper experiments to find out what things are real in the world. In this podcast, I speak to Melanie Parrish, whose book is all about running real experiments and about how you do that as a leader. Melanie has spent the last 20 years learning from leaders and put that all together in a fantastic book. And of course, she's promoting the book by speaking. So we talk about that as well in the current context where everything is moving virtual. So sit back and enjoy. This is a really nice one. Melanie, it's uh, great to have you here today on the Fireside with Vox King podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Awesome. I've kind of been looking forward to this one because I think we operate on the same brainwaves. When I saw the title of your book, which is The Experimental Leader, and you've been coaching people in, in leadership positions in companies, including tech, for quite a while, I believe. And uh, I'm sure you have some more stories to tell. We'll get to that later. I was looking at it kind of going, I wonder, are these real experiments? Or is that just a catchy title? Oh, absolutely. They're real experiments. Uh It's about everything being an experiment. If you look at our current environment, everybody burned their strategic plans about three weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And and everybody's experimenting like never before. And most of them are experimenting without a safety net. And the Experimental Leader book really helps people do it in an intentional way where they are paying attention to data collection and how they cycle through the experiments in a way that actually allows them to move forward. So I, I guess I would be in a data collection phase myself. You know, our, our business and events has definitely been impacted by everything that's going on. Let's just take that as a case study, right? So I'm talking to a lot of people and talking to our clients and trying to figure out what people are going to do. For our audience, this is a big question, right? Are, are in-person events ever going to come back? All this type of stuff. But let's not get into a discussion on that stuff. I'm much more interested in focusing on your, your methodology. So I have all this data. I know I've written up all these interview notes. What, what do I do next? Well, I think your business is actually a really interesting place to look because the speaking business right now, it's not something that's going to come back easily. Yeah. There's a lot of steps in between. And, and so one thing I think is that's really important when you're looking at something that feels really hard is that experiments and having an experimental mindset allow you to collect data because it may not be exactly as you would guess it was at the outset. For example, are there online speaking engagements that you can do? Are there online conferences you can create? And getting some really good feedback loops with the client. 
you know, who is buying or partaking in online? Are they having Zoom fatigue? Are they, you know, wanting something new? All of those back and forths and data collection, it may not be data collection like in a survey, but it may be data collection in seeing what the market will buy, I think are really interesting. The other thing that I think is really important to realize at a time like this is the experiment that you try today. You may not get the same data today that you will three weeks from now. And so for a lot of... Yeah. (laughs) That helps. (laughs) Yeah. So for a lot of my leaders, I'm actually suggesting that, you know, they don't assume that they're getting clean data about the market. They may be getting clean data about this day in the market. So they may want to repeat some experiments in a way that they usually wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point, actually. Okay. So that's kind of cool. That's useful to me straight away. <laughs> I'm just going to come back to this idea of the experiment because I'm a big fan of the proper scientific method. Like, correct me if I'm getting this wrong. You start off with the hypothesis, which you don't get a change, right? That's, that's kind of fixed. Then you collect some data to see, basically, you know, does it prove or disprove the hypothesis? Is that the basic technique? It's similar. Yeah. When I first started writing this book, I thought that was going to be it. And I, I couldn't, it was like fitting a, a square peg in a round hole to make it too much along the lines of a traditional scientific method. So if you see it as just a slight shift to the left, it's quite similar. But in organizations, when we want change to happen, we know that first. So we don't necessarily have the hypothesis, but we know where we want change to occur. And that's the place where you try something new. So it's not so much an experiment, it's what do you want to try next is the question that you shift to. What's the next experiment you want to try? And then you collect data and you see what you've learned. And then you construct your next experiment. What's the next thing you want to try? And I can't iterate enough that these need to be really small cycles. I usually say, you know, 24 hours to seven days. You don't want long, big, complex experiments. You want single, variable experiments. You change one thing at a time, and then you repeat them often. Yeah, and I mean, that's quite different from many people's experiences in the workplace where there's sort of a dictator boss. Yes. Just says, do this, and because I said so. Yes. I actually talk about reactive leadership styles in my book, and the the dominant leader is one that I talk about. It's kind of the dad boss that has all the answers. And that boss really gets in the way of that data collection because they put their ideas first. They don't foster open flow of ideas in their organization. And they don't help everyone contribute to the solutions for the challenges the organization is facing. I'm just trying to think back to a particular time when I was in a leadership role, and I was trying to get a marketing team to sort of iterate on trying new things uh, with a particular set of marketing content. I sort of explicitly said, okay, we're, we have to try, I actually use the word experiment. We have to try experiments once a week, try, try different things, see what happens, see if you can kind of move the numbers. Yeah, I got a lot of yeses and yeah, sure, we'll do that. But it kind of never happened. And it, it, it kind of felt like the team just wanted to find a status quo and just kind of run with that dial it in almost. I don't know. If you're in a leadership role, uh, how do you make it happen? It seems like pushing stone uphill. I have seen that in organizations. There's a guy who's a guru in management consulting. He worked a lot in factories called Eli Yahoo Goldrat. Yeah. 
And he came up with the theory of constraints. And he always said that management attention is the consistent biggest constraint in North American leadership. And so paying attention to the experiments, tracking the experiments, having multiple conversations about the experiments, there's a little bit of holding people's feet to the fire if you want to get good data, especially in marketing. People have edges around marketing. They feel like they're not doing a good job if the data isn't good. And so I think marketing is one of the most difficult places to get clean, reliable data. But I do think it's a place where doing the work is worth it. So figuring out what the metrics are and then measuring it weekly. And part of the leader's job may be to teach the skill of that iteration Mm. where you go and you pull the data every week, where you look at the data, where you talk about the data. It's not shiny, sexy work at all. Sounds like my mistake was sort of too much delegation, perhaps. I wanted the results of the experiment. (laughs) Yeah, you want the results, but you. I think that nurturing the experiment itself may be part of the work of the experimental leader. Yeah. It's not always sexy. Like it's a very steady role to help people experiment over time. I usually think about it as being a one-year to a five-year implementation in an organization. People have a lot of learned helplessness. They've been working on that learned helplessness for their entire lives. So to help them start experimenting and starting to remove bottlenecks, it takes time. It takes time to change the way that they think. Yeah. And people are naturally defensive anyway. They don't want to get into trouble for making mistakes. And you have to deal with all those issues as well. As leaders, we screw up. Like we get mad at people because the day, you know, it's again, it's not a perfect experiment either because as leaders, we don't get it right either. So, but I do believe that the method, the method of experimenting, the method of helping others experiment is worth the investment of time and effort. I'm really going to look forward to some of your talks. You're, you're doing the classic thing, which is you've taken your hard-won experience over many years and you've written a book about it. And now you're going on the speaking circuit or perhaps you were just about to go on the physical speaking circuit. Perhaps you're, <laughs> yes. you're now on the um, virtual speaking circuit. Do you think you'll be applying this experimental technique to your own, <laughs> to the way you promote the book and, and do the talks? Well, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I was, I have done some professional speaking in the past, but I never had a compelling thing to say until I wrote this book. As a coach, I ask a lot of questions and it's, it's kind of my skill is to ask questions. And so writing this book, it took me seven years and I wrote it because I just couldn't stand it. I, I wanted to share the thinking with my clients, with the people they knew. I wanted to, I love this material so much and I wanted it to be out there. And so I wanted to be able to speak about it because that's been my whole goal all along is to expand my reach to share these things I've tried with my clients for so long to a larger audience. And then, you know, we got hit with a pandemic. I have been doing some virtual speaking, some lunch and learns. I actually did a virtual launch and a talk. Cool. Yeah. So that's been really interesting. Um, I also, I'm using this opportunity to create online courses. And that is something that I can do in this time. So it's still speaking. There's lots and lots of video, but it's not in-person speaking. That's one of the shifts I've made. It's really hard. I I find it really difficult. I've done a few online events, um, speaking to the camera, speaking to your laptop. 
you know, I, I realized that as a speaker, your live audience is a huge crutch, right? I take a lot of energy from the, the stage and the live audience. Mm. I found a transition to virtual to be very difficult. It's interesting because most of my career, I've been coaching for 20 years. Almost all of my coaching has been virtual in some way. This is your moment. <laughs> and, and, yes, in, in some ways, yes, it is. Yeah. It's an interesting opportunity. I'm still experimenting with where the dollars are. So far, oh, yeah. I've been doing some sort of more marketing, you know, free lunch and learn things that coaches are doing for leaders in this time. And, and that's fine. There's lots of information um, in those experiments too. Our focus uh, in this podcast is mostly on the tech industry and, and people who are trying to get into public speaking to move their careers forward in that industry. You have worked with, a, with quite a few people in tech as well. What's what are the similarities and differences between technology leaders and in other industries? Or are there differences? Well, they dress differently. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's a free point. <laughs> that's an easy one. <laughs> but I, but I think that that the way that you know people dress in the tech industry is like it's there's a metaphor there. They want to be. Um, I think authenticity is really important in the tech industry. Uh, people in the tech industry don't want to be sold the yeah, slick yeah. sales presentations that work in other industries. I think people in the tech industry really turn their noses up at there. They find that really suspect. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. I think that there's design. I think that was one of my surprises as I started to be more and more in the tech industry, the, the slide decks and all of those things. I think people really appreciate good design in the tech industry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't turn up with your PowerPoint templates. <laughs> yes. And, You're not an easy right. font. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things I learned is that a slide deck really just needs to be visually interesting. It doesn't actually need to convey information. I mean, it may need to, but it may also just be that you want something visually interesting to look at while you listen deeply. I think that people in the tech industry, you know, I, I know people in a variety of companies and I think that you have to find your space. What's the thing that makes you special? You know, I, I, I'm reticent to talk about personal brand. I feel like we've talked about that and talked about that and talked about that, but that is in the tech industry. It's unusual because you don't have to be in business to become a speaker in the tech industry. You can be with a company and use your personal brand either on behalf of the company or on behalf of your yourself or some product or if you're a consultant, you know that that's a good fit. But there's more space for different paths to speaking in the tech industry. That's quite an interesting observation. You know, I have a very good friend who's quite senior in the pharmaceuticals industry, even on the technical side of the business. And I describe the tech industry conferences and how it works. But his conferences are much, much more different. I mean, you're sent very much as a representative of the company. Mm -hmm. It's quite dry. Um, it's very much about sharing the information. Whereas I think you're absolutely right, Melanie. In, in, the, in the tech industry, you've got to put a little bit of yourself and your own personality into the talk. In our product, we have, in the back end of our product, we let people assess talking proposals and 
one of our very early clients asked for a little flag to say, you know, this is a vendor pitch. We don't want that in our conference. We don't want somebody selling. <laughs> Which means that even if, even if your company sends you out to sell, you have to personalize it. It can't just be, here's the list of features, and this is why it's wonderful, and this is why you should use it. You know, you're much better off relating it back to your own personal experiences. And it comes back to this authenticity thing again. Do you think that makes it easier to speak? Or is, is it a higher bar, perhaps? It's interesting. I was just thinking about that in my head. I was, you know, in New Mexico, they have more restaurants per capita than any other state. And they're all really? like, you know, little mom and pop Mexican, New Mexican oh, of course. Um, yeah, restaurants. Yeah. And because of that, every restaurant in New Mexico that lasts for a year is good. Like really good. Like you can get good sushi in New Mexico against all evidence, wow. <laughs> you know, all, <laughs> all, you know, reasonable thought. Um, because if you don't have good sushi, you can't compete in the marketplace. And I think that speakers in tech are a little bit like that. There's so many of them because you don't have to be selling a product. The quality is pretty good. And people share information well in the tech in industry. So it's hard to fake it. Yeah. I think you have to be pretty yeah. good to be a tech speaker. That's kind of a good point. It's always interesting when somebody from the outside sort of <laughs> shines a light on your own industry. Yeah, I think you're right. We would have had clients in different industries that I would have been exposed to some of the talking styles in other industries. And yeah, they're pretty serious and, and sort of boring. Whereas in, in tech, you're supposed to provide a bit of entertainment. The quality has to be there. Right. And of course, that's more intimidating if you're trying to talk, right? If you've been to these conferences and you've seen these amazing speakers and they've, they're coding live on stage, you know, they, they get these great audience reactions. It's a bigger mountain to climb. But at the same time, the, the, I would say the other side of it, in my experience, is that it's easier to get started. There's lots and lots and lots of small meetups and that sort of thing are very encouraging. But yeah, it's definitely the case that, that you need to entertain as much as anything else in tech. Yes. And, you know, people are going to be live tweeting your talk. You know, it's going to be oh, yeah. <laughs> that that information is going to be out there fast and in a, a way that other, you know, you have to be providing value in a really special way. Let's turn to your, your, the subject of your book and, and the coaching, because this is something that a lot of people who run startups or are working in technology companies. I mean, when people think of technology, people think of the big big companies. They're, they're not startups. They, they'll be fine. Uh, and if you work for them, uh, you'll probably be okay. There's the classic startups where an investor has given you money and the money's going to run out. <laughs> so yes. that's stressful. But there's a whole set of the tech industry where uh, consultancy and building software for people, there's also going to be a ton of challenges, right? Because there just isn't going to be as much software built. All the money just won't be there. So if you find yourself in a, in a leadership position in those latter two types of companies, you must have coached people through the, the last crisis as well, the sort of 2008 period. What's your advice around this? Interestingly, I think 2008, 2009, 2010 was really different. Mm. People were scared in a different way. This feels like people are more at choice. The stock market is kind of rallying and showing that right now as well. Like there's not a lot of fear. It's like waiting. I am unclear. You know, I'm in Canada. 
I'm American. I'm looking at both countries. I'm seeing them have roll out different experiments for how they (laughs) support people during this time. It's fascinating. If it weren't so deadly, it would be just, it's so interesting to watch, to see how people are experimenting. Governments are experimenting. Leaders are experimenting. It's it's like the Olympics for leadership right now. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got the sort of star players like New Zealand prime minister, I think is 35 or something amazing. And then you've got Sweden where it's like, don't worry, pretend it doesn't exist and <laughs> we'll just carry right. on. Right. And, and we've got Justin Trudeau doing daily updates where, you know, he's letting his hair grow out. He's His wife had it in the beginning. I, I imagine right. she's yeah. better by now. But he was single parenting alone in his home while running the country. I mean, it, it's awesome. like, yeah. <laughs> it is seriously like the Olympics for leaders. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. I think I am taking comfort in thinking about the recession in uh, 2009, 2010, because it all came back. We are resilient as human beings. We are resilient as leaders. We are innovative. I don't believe that business will come back the way it was. And if you are doing a startup for a product that doesn't have any purpose, it's probably time to get out. But if you're doing a relevant startup that solves people's problems in some way, then figure out how to lengthen your run rate. Like, how do you stay with it long enough to show proof of concept, to show the marketplace what you've got? I don't think that things are going to be exactly the same when we come back. You know, my daughter's a chef. She's in the restaurant industry. You know, she's like, well, I don't know if all the restaurants are going to make it. And and I said, well, the restaurant owners may not make it, but there's going to be all these beautiful restaurants sitting there that are turnkey. Oh, I want to go to restaurants. Yeah, everybody wants to go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if she wants to start a business, maybe give it a little while, but yeah. Right, there's a moment, right? Like it may yeah. not be that the owners have deep, en- deep enough pop- pockets to get through this, but there will be turnkey restaurants everywhere that new investors could come and step into. I just don't think business is going to look the same as we think it will. I think we have to be flexible. I I talked to somebody yesterday who works in a tech company whose CEO won't do video calls. What? Oh, dear. dear. (laughs) Like, to me, that's not a good place to invest. Yeah. I want flexibility from leaders right now. I want them to wake up today and go, I don't know. I tried this yesterday. What am I going to try today? I want curiosity. I want all of those things from those smaller startups. I want them to be curious about what how the marketplace is today. I want them to guess how it's going to be a week from now, guess how it's going to be a year from now, and start to try to solve the problems that the world will face as we're coming out of this. That's a great perspective. I mean, first of all, it recognizes the reality of the situation, which is things have changed. We just don't know how yet. And the way we find out is through experiments, because that that will teach us what the next steps are. And none of us needs to be like putting forth ideas that we have to go to bat for, that we believe will work, and then we live and die by our ideas. That has never been a good idea, but it is a horrible idea right now. Of course, we're trying new things. The ground is shifting under our feet. So it, it really is a great time to shift to this 
new mindset of experimentation and leadership. Don't waste a good crisis. I'm sure somebody said that. Was, was it Winston Churchill? <laughs> somebody like that. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's so true. It's like, it's so painful. You know, there are so many people who are marginalized by this. And, you know, for those people, my heart aches. And for those of us in business, there are opportunities for us to improve our products, for us to look for better opportunities to provide value in the marketplace, for us to shift and meet needs in new ways. Yeah, because there yeah. will be new needs. I mean, you know, we, we could all get super lucky and they could bring in universal basic income, which just which means we have a millions, hundreds of millions of ready-made customers with money to spend. Right. I mean, that, and that's sort of what I see is the difference between the U.S. and Canada. The U.S. is putting money into the businesses' pockets and Canada is putting it into the lowest tier with uh, almost providing a basic income. That's what I don't get, right? Because a business needs customers. You need your, you need your customers to be doing well to, to do well yourself. Right. It doesn't strike me as the best approach. But as you say, they're sort of giant experiments, not experiments that, that anybody wanted to run, but um, experiments nonetheless. And, and I believe people will collect data. Like, I think that's the cool thing about societies is, you know, people can look and see what happened to different economies, given the approaches. We may actually come out with some, maybe not best practices, but at least some data about, you know, where to best invest as a government when you're in a crisis to come out uh, with a more intact economy. Well, I think that is a good place to wrap it up. Melanie, this, uh, this has been really, really interesting. Some home truths for the tech industry. <laughs> yeah, and also a, a lot of hope, hope for the future as well. Especially if you're in a business that, that's struggling at the moment. Here's to the power of experiments. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com who help make this podcast possible till next time remember take a deep breath pause and step forward <laughs> <laughs>